With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 85 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. We're doing this podcast on a Monday as... Just hours away from the legal tampering period, a few days away from the start of free agency. The combine is wrapping up, so a lot to get into here. We'll give our plans for free agency and talk a little bit uh, about some comments Ben McAdoo made over the weekend and late last week in uh, Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. James, we'll start with you. Is um, this was? It's, it's weird. It's a different feel from last year, but certainly uh, same time of the year. The Giants have some holes. They want to fix them, and now we find out how they do it. We knew last year they'd be very active. I still don't know if people know how active the Giants are going to be, but, but free agency is getting close now. Yes. I mean, the Giants have $13 million in cap space at the moment. Obviously, they could free up a little bit more if they can get JPP signed to a long-term deal by uh, Thursday at 4 p.m. That's when the new league year begins and free agency kind of officially starts. They've also obviously, you know, they, there's some cuts they could make. You know, they always could try to restructure deals. But for the most part, they've got their $13 million. It doesn't seem like they're terribly interested in being, you know, aggressive, active participants in the market like they were last year. John Merritt, you know, kind of told some reporters in Indianapolis, uh, you know, some a couple of reporters kind of staked them out at the committee, uh, uh, competition committee hearing that he didn't think the Giants were going to be as big players as they were a year ago. But at the same time, you know, Dan and I being in Indianapolis with the Combine, you hear agents and other, you know, league officials say that $13 million in cap space doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot. And I think it's the there's only four teams in the league to have uh, less cap space than the Giants at the moment, but you aren't, you know, you're kind of completely, your hands aren't completely tied by 13 million in cap, 13 million in cap space. You can do some things if you get a little creative with the way you structure your contracts. So, I don't expect the Giants to do a whole heck of a lot uh, the next couple of days, but I do think they're they, they're capable of doing something. Uh, maybe they've just kind of held their cards closer to the vest than they usually do. Dan, when you look at this thing and where the Giants are at right now, considering the cap room they have and considering what they need, do you expect them to, to try to be active here and try to get creative? Or do you think it's going to be more of, a, more of a quiet year, certainly compared to last year, but even just maybe what some fans want to see? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be quiet compared to last year, but obviously you kind of can't do that year in, year out. There's just not enough money to, to make those types of moves every year. But uh, I think definitely their top priority is re-signing their own guys, and you know that might not be as sexy as going out and getting some guy who's really hyped up free agent. Uh, obviously, JPP was priority number one, so... Uh, well, that's not fully done. I mean, they've they've obviously established that that was their number one priority. They at least have them locked up, uh, you know, under the franchise tag. Uh, but like James said, it's going to be about what they can do as far as flexibility. Uh, if they can get JPP signed to a long-term deal, uh, you know, that almost automatically will lower his cap hit, um, you know, for the first year, which would give him a little bit more room. Uh, I'm I'm a little surprised how much of an emphasis I've heard they're putting on Jonathan Hankins. To me, I just look at when you're allocating your money. It means again, there's only so much to go around, and you're already investing heavily in three defensive line spots. Hankins is a nice player and all, and and you know maybe has potential to become even better. He's a young guy still, but I just don't think that some of the numbers I've heard they're willing to go. I've heard they've been willing to spend you know eight eight and a half million annually for uh, Jonathan Hankins, and, and the kind of thing is a little surprising to me that that isn't even enough but i'm almost surprised that they're willing to go that far i just i just think that that money be much better spent on the offensive line i mean ben mcadoo said you know someone said oh you know we're keeping the defense together and mcadoo's like well we want the defense to be better and while i think they can still accomplish that even if they lose hankins just having you know another year of a lot of these same guys together guys like eli apple taking the next step uh that type of thing but you can't say we're going to make the defense better and then just leave the offense status quo. <laughs> if anything's going to be left status quo, I'd much rather see the defense left status quo and, and try and fill one hole there. Whereas offensively, they have some, some major holes. And, and I think it would be a huge mistake if they're going to invest heavily in Jonathan Hankins and try and go bargain bin uh, on the offensive line. I think if anything, it should be go after one of these offensive linemen. Obviously, Whitworth is kind of the, the golden prize out there. But even if you can't get him, that can't be a position you just try and patch together again because we saw how that worked out last year. So I would say uh, that should be their goal. Um, but, you know, it definitely got some signs that, that Hankins was a priority in Indianapolis, and it kind of surprised me, you know, how much they're willing to spend on him. Yeah, I was very surprised by that, and for all the reasons you laid out there, Dan. And then in the past, James, they've let defensive tackles go. I think to Barry Cofield, who wasn't quite at this level, but he was a pretty decent player. And then Linval Joseph, who maybe we can equate that to this. I mean, they had a second round pick. He became a good player, left, got better. Do you think that might be part of this, that they don't want to see that happen again, where a guy leaves and he takes off even more? I mean, I'm, I'm with Dan. I'm surprised at how much it seems like they might invest or, you know, use some of their resources here to keep Hankins instead of doing some other things. Uh, I, that could be part of it. I, I agree with Dan I, I, and, you, and you, Joe. I don't really understand. Like, look, Hankins is he's a really good guy. He's a, he's a good player. Uh, you know, he's very young. I think he's 24, so he's definitely got some upside, some room to grow. But at the same time, I mean, and look, I don't think this is going to ultimately be a major thing for them because I'm assuming, this is just my guess, is that no matter what the Giants are willing to pay him, someone's going to pay him more. Because there's 1.16 billion dollars in cap space out there, and as if you know, fans are reading Twitter and seeing you know these projected salary ranges for some of these players. A lot of guys are going to get paid a lot of money that you never would have thought would have gotten this money, you know, a couple of months ago. But I think the the problem the Giants have is, you know, okay, you know, they really want Hankins. It's fine. You bring this whole defense back. But I, I really have to ask, you know, how much better is this team going to be in 2017? I mean, if if you if you focus all your resources on bringing back JPP, obviously, and then you somehow get Hankins back, you get Keenan Robinson back, that's great. Defense is ready to roll. But you look at the offensive side of the ball, and I just think that 
we're getting very close. And when Ben McAdoo kind of, uh, you know, ripped Eli Manning a little bit at the podium, I'm sure we'll discuss that in a second. I almost wonder if part of that was because he was trying to give a little bit cover to his embattled offensive line because there's a chance that these guys all might be back in the same place, uh, you know, or pretty much next season. So that, that's my big thing is, okay, you focus on bringing the defense back. Defense was great last year, but do you have anything left over to, to address the needs on the offense? And yes, you have the draft, but can you actually make major significant plug-and-play improvements like in the draft again? They did it last year to an extent, but can they do it again? I, I just don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm looking at their cap sheet right now and just trying to do the math there. You know, If they did bring back Hankins on a big deal, I mean, outside of Eli, and I know this will change at some point, obviously, in the near future with Odell Beckham Jr., but outside of Eli, like no one on the offense is making any money. Um, Justin Pugh's going to make $8 million, I think, for this coming season, eight, 8 point something, right? But no one's making double digits. Meanwhile, you'd have Pierre Paul, you'd have Vernon, you'd have Jenkins, you'd have Harrison, maybe Hankins. Uh, if he gets to that kind of number in double digit million, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot to invest on one side of the football. We'll get to our, our plans for the Giants, what we think uh, they should do in free agency in a few minutes. But Dan, James just touched on it. Let, let's get to it. We were talking about it before the before the uh, the mics went on and, and we started this show here. What Ben McAdoo had to say last week out at the combine and, and what and the way it's been taken for the last week. And um, really, I, I think on the surface, taken as criticism of Eli Manning. And, you know, that doesn't happen often around the Giants. What did you make of Ben McAdoo's comments, uh, what he had to say and just the general tone of, of Ben speaking with uh, the media at the combine? Yeah, it was interesting because Ben obviously doesn't often say much in, in press conferences. And when I you know, heard his reaction live, you know, standing there. I didn't take it quite as much uh, a shot at Eli as he got very defensive of the offensive line. I mean, he, he kind of blasted, oh, that's a, like a lazy answer or whatever to try and you know say you know everything. It was it was sort of like you know another one of these coaches who doesn't read anything but yet seems to know everything that goes on in the media at the time. I took it first of all, um, but as far as the Eli stuff, then you kind of step back and said, wait a second, like it wasn't just about the offensive line. He put quite a bit of that on Eli's shoulders, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't out of line. It, it, you know, Eli did not play very well last season, but it was a little out of character, and you don't usually see a, a franchise quarterback get criticized you know, so publicly. And my biggest problem with it is the sense that it, he was not the biggest problem on this offense. Eli definitely needs to play better, but you know, it's definitely a chicken or an egg thing because is Eli playing bad because the offensive line stinks? And I, I'm more inclined to, to believe that because, uh, again, I think McAdoo reflexively just gets defensive because all season – People would ask critical questions about the tight ends, and he would always dismiss, oh, it's not about the tight ends, it's about all 11 guys. It's not about the offensive line. So it's, it, you're telling me Eli is the problem, not uh, a below-average group of tight ends and an offensive line that has you know maybe two guys who would start on the teams around the league. Those guys aren't the problem. And, and the thing that really uh, doesn't sit so well with me with the way McAdoo talks about the offense there never seems to be a finger pointing back in at the guy calling the plays. You know, it's the players didn't execute. He came away from this season – and his biggest takeaway was their their third down efficiency and their turnovers. I mean, these are kind of minute details. I mean, enough that the turnovers is not a minute detail, but the turnover numbers weren't significantly higher than they were the past two years when they put up a lot of points. The biggest difference, from from my opinion, was the offense became uh, painfully predictable. It's a lot tougher to execute when the defense pretty much knows you're going to come out there three wide in the shotgun and run the same handful of plays all day. So I, I just think that's... Uh, a little off-putting. I don't, you know, a coach can criticize his players all he wants, but I think the the finger always has to point inwards first, and and that's what really surprised me. That McAdoo took Eli to task, 
And yet when he was asked a question like, well, do you think you need to change anything about the scheme? And his answer was, oh, no, we just didn't execute. We, you know, we, we, were, we were in third and short and we didn't pick him up. I mean, I don't think that was the biggest problem last season. I think uh, the, the problems were a little bit bigger and, and really a lot of them started in the coach's office. So I don't think that's a great look. Um, you know, and the thing is, Eli can take it. That, that's why it's probably yeah. safe to criticize Eli rather than Eric Flowers or, you know, whoever might have been Larry Donnell last year. Uh, Eli, it's going to roll off his back. He's probably the most, you know, secure, confident guy there is. Doesn't take this type of thing personally. And if there is any issue, it will certainly be handled, uh, you know, behind closed doors. He won't be putting an Instagram post uh, responding or anything like that. So it's kind of a safe guy if you want to take a shot. Uh, you know, we, everyone makes such a big deal about how Bill Belichick kind of holds Tom Brady's feet to the fire. But even that happens, uh, you know, in practice or in meetings. So it, it is definitely unusual for a head coach to uh, to kind of blast a franchise quarterback the way he did. And, and I just didn't agree with, uh, you know, kind of the comments where they came from. Yeah, James, I think, what did you take of it? I think Dan's right. I, I wrote this in a SouthernNJ.com. You know, even when Jerry Reese talked about how, you know, Eli's on the back nine. I think him and McAdoo, they know the room they're playing to. And I think you can see, kind of see this to, to a lesser extent or a different extent with, you know, columnists. I mean, you can pretty much at this go at Eli nonstop, and it's really not going to have much of an impact because Eli is, you know, Dan's right. He's not going to, you know, let his feelings be known publicly. He's not going to make a deal of it. He, he's still going to be the consummate, you know, professional day in, day out. So I do think to some extent it's just it's easy to blame Eli. And, and even Ben has said in the past that, you know, the quarterback gets – too much credit when the team wins, too much you know blame when the team loses. So I think Dan was right. I when I saw it there in person, I took it as more of a sign that he was trying to kind of defend this offensive line because when I look at the draft class, which we've all kind of learned, and although you know some guys impressed there in Indianapolis, but it's not a terribly strong draft class for offensive linemen. And then you look at the free agent class where there are some guys, but. I think it's going to be kind of the same thing we talked about with Hankins. You know, the Giants, they could be interested in Russell O'Connor. And then if he gets, someone offers him $11 million, I, I don't think the Giants are going to be able to go there. And then that's that. So I really took it as a defense of the offensive line because I think there's a very good chance that we're going to get to training camp and Eric Flowers is going to be, you know, it's going to be his job to lose at left tackle. They might bring someone in to compete with him. But I think that there's a very good chance we'll get to training camp and they'll probably have re-signed John Jerry to be the right guard. I, I do think they've got to do something at right tackle, definitely give Bobby Hart you know, a real position competition there. But I don't know. I just took kind of McAdoo know, reading the tea leaves and knowing that he can't really put the blame on this offensive line because he's going to need the capital down the road when people are up in arms when it's August and the line basically hasn't changed. Should probably take a break and let all the Giants fans come back in off the ledge after James just said Eric Flowers and John Jerry are going to be back as the starters next year, which is definitely possible, but I don't think that's a thought any Giants fan wants to have on March 6th. Yeah, that's a timeout necessary. Everyone <laughs> just relax. If you're listening while you're driving to work, just pull over and give us a second here. We're going to, we're going to bring this thing back here. All right, before <laughs> before we, we get into our specific plans, what we would do if we were Jerry Reese and, and we had the limited, but the resources he has this, um, this offseason – Dan, off of what uh, James just said, the thought that popped into my head is: Are the Giants, if they if they act like that, if they take if they have a very slow burn to this off season, and we already said, look, there's no way they're going to act like last year; they just can't do it. But if they basically do nothing, or they only re-sign their own guys and just kind of go with status quo, is is that a big mistake considering how close 
they might be to something special? Like, isn't this, the, isn't this the time to try to do something to push it forward to fill those holes? Because I have to believe they believe they're not that far away from competing for a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think a lot has to do with Eli's window. You know, I mean, let's be realistic here. He's got three years left on his contract. Uh, he, he played well enough, uh, at least in that playoff game, to show you that uh, there's signs that he can still be the guy. He's, he's not... You know, he's not going to be in that Aaron Rodgers conversation at this point in his career, but he's good enough. And, and I think you just have to kind of plan uh, to just ride it out with Eli and kind of go all in these next couple of years. That's why, uh, you know, my number one guy on free agency uh, will be Andrew Whitworth, you know, the left tackle from the Bengals. Now, he might not leave Cincinnati, so there might not be not anything the Giants can do. But the idea that people are, are shying away from that possibility because Andrew Whitworth is 35 years old doesn't really make any sense. Well, I mean, your quarterback's 36, so what's the difference? You don't need necessarily a left tackle for the next 12 years. I mean, you tried to draft one a couple of years ago in the first round. How'd that work out? So I think getting... Uh, someone like Whitworth, who is an established, you know, he's playing at a Pro Bowl level, hasn't missed a game in, I think, like six years. I mean, he's there's no signs that he's breaking down. So a, a guy like that, I'd say a two-year deal would be, you know, absolutely perfect, in my opinion. Again, yeah, it'd be great if you could get some 25-year-old stud left tackle. Guess what? They don't hit the market because no team lets those guys walk. So, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And I think Whitworth checks a lot of the boxes. And again, to the overall point of the Eli window, he'd line up with that. And then listen, in, in two or three years, Odds are you might have to blow this up a little bit anyways. So uh, that's fine. Go all in these next couple of years. You know, these opportunities don't come around that often unless you're, you know, the Patriots who, you know, can kind of extend it for all time. But teams usually have these little windows. They surge and, and then they come back to the field. And then you can rebuild it just as quickly if you do get the right quarterback to replace Eli, uh, that type of thing. So uh, I think that should be the mindset. I mean, you don't want to go so all in that you cripple yourselves and, and you have no money down the road. Uh, but I think they can afford to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, in, you know, this offseason, because, again, I think that it is right there. I mean, you won 11 games last year, and, and the offense wasn't very good. So a, a couple improvements on the offense, and this thing could really take off, and they could really be in that Super Bowl conversation. They could be, and it's just a matter of how they approach this offseason and, and what they do. James, we'll start with you. All right, you're Jerry Reese, and you just were at the Combine, and, and we'll, we'll touch on a couple things from there at the end. But, you know, this free agency is here now, right? And it's, it's time to set this thing up, and you're Jerry Reese how are you approaching this thing? What's a, a player or two you're targeting and, and kind of your philosophy here? Okay. So step one is I'm going to shake Jonathan Hankins' hand, thank him for everything he's done, and just, you know, obviously you make him an offer, but you go into this preparing for the fact that he's going to get paid a lot more money elsewhere. Just because I, I just think that you've invested so much in snacks and JVP and OV and it's nothing against Jonathan Hankins, but I just look at his position and his role, and I just have a hard time believing the Giants can't get at least 80%, if not more than that, of what he would give them out of drafting a guy in a very deep defensive tackle class or you know, trying to take a flyer, you know, a guy, or, or even you know, trying to give Robert Thomas or Jay Brown, I mean, I know Jay Brown is a guy the Giants aren't necessarily particularly high on, but he was a third-round pick. I mean, you know, he's going to his fourth year in the league, I believe. So, you know, at some point, you know, these, these guys got to play, you know, especially when you're, when you're a day-two pick. So I, I just think that that's something that all things considered, look, the Broncos won the Super Bowl two years ago and it had a bunch of guys leave. You know, good teams who draft good players, they can't keep them all. So I don't think it's the end of the world that you know a guy like Jonathan Hankins would walk so you can kind of direct your resources elsewhere. 
I agree with Dan. I think Whitworth makes a lot of sense for the Giants. It doesn't seem like they're going to be in on it. It seems like a lot of people, a lot of people around the Bengals seem pretty confident that he's going to find his way back to Cincinnati eventually. One of the things I, I, I mean, obviously, Okung would be the next guy. Um, again, he might get a lot of money and not be possible. The Giants, apparently, from what I understand, haven't shown any interest in Kelvin Beecham yet. That surprised me a little bit, considering he's a relatively young guy. My guess with the Giants is that you know, obviously last year Prince Mukamara hit free agency and people thought he was going to make a lot of money. And he only ended up getting that one year, you know, $5.5 million deal with the Jaguars. Now he's going to hit the market again this week. A lot of people are projecting he's going to be able to go get his $10 million a year big payday. So maybe that's what the Giants end up doing. They just, you know, one of those tackles, whether it's Clady, Okung, Beecham, Matt Khalil, maybe one of those guys just doesn't get the long term deal he wants. So he's willing to kind of take a modest, one-year deal and prove himself. Maybe that could work for the Giants, but I would target Whitworth. Tight end, I don't think there's really anything to get involved with there. I just think Marty Bennett, Jared Cook are going to cost too much money. Uh, probably not going to be able to match whatever someone's going to give them to bring them back. Wide receiver, I don't really see any great, again, you know, the Giants aren't going to go after an Alshon Jeffrey or a, you know, Kenny Stills. A couple guys I think they, they could get go after that would make sense. Uh, running back, I think LeGarrette Blunt was a guy they've shown interest in, in the past. He pro- a veteran guy would probably match well with Perkins. Should be affordable. Uh, Verona's own Anthony Fasano is a guy who I think they should definitely try to target. Blocking tight end, I you know bet one of the things McAdoo did at the combine was he basically admitted I don't know if he meant to admit it that Will Johnson was going to be a fullback next last year before he got hurt. So. They'll have, I mean, I think if you have a blocking tight end and a fullback, you've got a chance to maybe weather the storm if you're going to think you might have to keep Flowers at left tackle. And uh, another, Eric Winston, veteran backup right tackle for the Bengals, kind of a swing guy who's started here and there. He seems to be a guy that maybe the Giants could target to kind of get some experience and veteran leadership on that line. A guy who maybe can push for the right tackle job, maybe push Flowers a little bit. The last thing. Um, well, actually, two last guys. Uh, one, neither of them I think will come here, but ex-Jets. Obviously, Brandon Marshall, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. But I still go back to this thing I wrote the other day. If the Giants are truly in this win-now mode, trying to go all-in, I really think they should go get Mark Sanchez as their backup quarterback. Just because if disaster strikes and Eli gets hurt and he's out for a long extended period of time and you've already gone all-in, I think it's worth paying the extra couple of million bucks to have a quarterback who has got starting experience in the NFL. And let's be honest, if the Giants have a really good defense and they've got Odell, you can convince me that Mark Sanchez gives them a puncher's chance to contend if Eli's not available. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I think Sanchez is the type of guy who, you know, you've still got a shot. Not a great shot, but you've got a shot if he's got to step in and be your starter. Yeah, I mean, it's probably just based on time, right? Like, if Eli missed the whole year, they wouldn't contend, I don't think. But if he missed a month for some reason, which he never has, but that day might come one day, yeah, I I could be convinced that. I've seen Sanchez play plenty of average football games, and you would think with a good defense and a good receiver, he can average his way to a couple wins over a month and and keep them in it. I I like that plan, James. I mean, I, I like the idea that this might be phase two of all in like last year was the big money. This year is more older veterans that just fit the mold and fit the spots right now to put them over the hump, whether it be Whitworth. And, you know, you discussed the, uh, you know, how unlikely that might be or Sanchez or any of these guys, Dan, let's hear yours. And then, then we'll have a discussion on, 
Um, we could probably have a side discussion, too, on Brandon Marshall because that I think that's a fascinating one for the fan base. So, Dan, how would you approach this thing? Yeah, well, so like I said, I mean, I think left tackle uh, and obviously Whitworth at the top of that list, that, that has to be the number one priority. That, that's why, you know, I go back to what I've said already. I don't understand how they're even really considering, uh, you know, investing heavily in Hankins because this idea of keeping the defense together, to me, he isn't the glue that holds that defense together. If you went down the list, he's probably maybe the eighth best player in that defense last season. So I just, just really have a hard time wrapping my head around that one. Although I will say, uh, from talking to people out in Indy, if it was all things being equal or maybe even a little less, he wants to come back. So, I mean, if somehow the market doesn't materialize the way he wants and they are willing to spend, say, $8 million a year, I could see that working out. So I, I wouldn't fully close the door on that. But I, I do think when he hits the market, um, he will find uh, you know pretty, pretty good offers out there. Um, so, again, yeah, offense would be my number one priority. Like I said, left tackle. But if you, if you do invest in a left tackle, so you're going to give Whitworth $9, $10 million a year, that does affect, you know, what you can do with the right side of the line, and then you might have John Jerry back. But I think fans uh, wouldn't be quite as far on the ledge if it's if it's John Jerry back with Whitworth at left tackle instead of you know Eric Flowers back at left tackle. Um, not saying it'll necessarily be Jerry. I just think I'm, I'm that type of player, uh, kind of a journeyman right guard. Maybe Bobby Hart moves in and plays right guard, or maybe Marshall Newhouse is back. And someone like that. I just can't. You can't spend same as defense line. You can't spend at every position. Um, so I know there's some guards on the market that the fans are excited about. And, oh, let's go get this guy. Well, I think tackle is obviously a more important position, and it was obviously a much bigger weakness for the Giants last season. I mean, you have Justin Pugh, left guard, who is you know an above average player, and, and Richburg's a solid center. So I don't think they need to uh, fortify that middle anymore. I think it's the, the edges they really need to get better at, and, and, and left tackle being the, the number one priority. Uh, like, like a lot of things James said, I agree with. I don't see really the need to go and get a, a marquee tight end. I mean, he mentioned Fasano. That's the type of guy I think would make sense. You bring him in as a veteran who's more of a blocker. So if you get one of these these stud tight ends in the draft, and O.J. Howard or Dave Njoku or even Evan Engram in maybe the second round, you have Fasano there to kind of complement them as a veteran piece and, and more of a blocker. And then you mix in the other guys. They have Jarrell Adams. I mean, uh, it makes some good competition, if nothing else. That position was obviously really thin last year. So that would be solid. Uh, wide receiver, I think that they should get um, a veteran, but I don't think it needs to be a big splash veteran like, you know, like a Brandon Marshall or, or a guy like that. So uh, they, they do need to upgrade uh, that Victor Cruz spot, and I don't think Tavares King or Roger Lewis is a legitimate number three wide receiver. I think they could be good number four wide receivers if this offense ever uses four wide receiver sets. Um, but I wouldn't get carried away, Dan. <laughs> uh, and then and running back, I'm. All in on the draft. I mean, if a guy like Blunt is going to be really cheap, sure, why not? Because, I mean, I think he's a solid guy and everything. But, I, I, again, you're starting to name all these positions. The money's going fast. So uh, the the running back is a position you want to be young at anyways. Guys obviously hit 30 and, and fall off a cliff, if not sooner. Um, it's supposed to be a deep uh, running back draft. You got Paul Perkins in the fifth round last year, and he looks like he could be uh, the team's number one back this year. So there's no reason to think they can't find a similar player like that in the third, fourth, fifth rounds this year. So uh, that's a position I would not invest in. Um, but so clearly, for me, it's offense, offense, offense. I mean, getting JPP back, and then obviously hopefully locked up uh, for a long-term deal, kind of settles the biggest defensive priorities. Then you want to get a Keenan Robinson, who should be on an affordable contract. But uh, whatever resources they have, I would definitely focus them on the offense and, again, starting at left tackle. 
that's where I would start. Left tackle, whether it be Whitworth or Okung. I mean, whoever, if they can get a guy and, and they could put a guy in there they feel good about. I, I just think this time, unlike last year, they can't worry about Eric Flowers' feelings or what they think he might be. I mean, they have to improve that area. I, I would try to get JPP locked up long term so there's more cap space there. And then I think the other receiver spot is fascinating, what they do there to replace Victor Cruz. Now, Dan, you said more of a, a, a lower end, but an upgrade over what they have. James, you mentioned Brandon Marshall. I like Pierre Garçon, though he might be too expensive and might still think he's a number one, number two, and not maybe the Giants aren't as appealing to him as, as other places might be. But I, I love the player there and think he'd be uh, a great fit. Marshall, though, James, that's the one that the Giants fans are really interested in because – one, he's still a good player. Two, we've seen him play here with the Jets now for, for a couple of years. And uh, three, there's a sense I feel like out there that he probably wants to stay uh, in this area. He does the the work for Showtime for Inside the NFL. He's clearly preparing for his next career uh, and how what he wants to do with that. And, and New York probably would be very appealing to Brandon Marshall. Uh, James, how realistic do you think it is? And, and how do you think the offense could look if he actually was on it? I don't know how – I don't think it's terribly realistic. I mean I know people are saying that Brandon Marshall wants to stay in New York. But at the same time, Brandon Marshall is the guy who asked the Jets to cut him. I mean the Jets were willing to give him an extension. So if Brandon Marshall wanted to stay in New York, well, I mean it was pretty easy. He just would sign the contract and stay with the Jets. But he obviously wants to, to go out there and win. And, of course, that's completely understandable. Um yeah, I just – look, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Giants on the field. I think some of the off-the-field concerns are a little bit, you know – I understand why people have the, the locker room concerns, the off-field concerns. But at the same time, I mean, you know, that's a locker room that went through a lot of a lot of nonsense and mayhem last year and nothing really came of it, at least from what we saw publicly. And, you know, definitely from what, you know, Dan and I, you know, being in there every day – uh, talking to guys, so I don't think that'd be as much of an issue. I think, obviously, as I wrote, Showtime really can't be an issue because you can do whatever you want on your day off with these Giants. So you can't really. I can't imagine that you know the, they're going to draw a line in the sand over a guy going on Showtime and, and talking with Boomer and Phil Sims every week. Although the, the off day thing would might be a thing they have to work around, but. I, I just my my thought process is that we probably would have heard something from one side or the other. If there was some seriousness to the possibility of Brandon landing with the Giants, uh, I think it would make a ton of on-field sense for them. I mean, selfishly, I, Brandon seems like a guy would be a lot of fun to cover. Uh, I did one of his charity events, and, and he was great. So I can only imagine what he was like every day on the beat with the Jets guys. So everyone speaks very highly of him, That obviously we know that covers the Jets. So I think it would be a really interesting move. Again, money might be an issue. I think he's a guy who's probably so got something left in the tank, and he, and he can get some a, a good sized deal. But you know, if the Giants can make it happen, I think they should make it happen. Don't think they're going to do it, but I definitely think they should consider it. Dan, how do you think that could look? I mean, we talked all last year about how the, how the offense just it looked like it should be better. The names were there, and it, it didn't produce. And obviously, offensive line we talked about was an issue, and and Victor Cruz wasn't the old Victor Cruz. If a guy like Marshall did show up and you put him in the offense with the second-year Sterling Shepard, you put him in with Odell Beckham Jr., and he was uh, motivated because it felt like last year at times with the way the Jets were, uh, Brandon just wasn't as checked in as he was the year before. Uh, how good do you think that trio could be if it, if it actually came to fruition? 
Oh, I, mean, I think it'd be incredible. I mean, you think about uh, the matchups that Brandon Marshall would be getting opposite Odell. I mean, he'd be getting the number two corner every week and a lot of man coverage. I mean, <laughs> that that's a recipe for a big season, uh, you know, because again, Cruz was able to, as, as much as Cruz, you know, kind of underproduced, he still made some big plays and, and that really was never, you know, that wasn't his game as far as being a deep threat. So I think you put a guy like Marshall in those same matchups and the, the numbers would be, you know, much higher than what Cruz put up last year. So on the field uh, makes a ton of sense. I'm more opposed to it um, for the off field uh, reasons. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad guy. I mean, uh, one off field reason is just the finances. I can't see, him taking what they'd probably be willing to spend on a on a veteran wide receiver. I mean, he was going to make seven point five million with the Jets. I would think that would be a starting point going forward. I mean, he hasn't you know dropped off very much, so that seems a little rich for me again because I keep going back to that. That money needs to first and foremost go to the offensive line. Uh, you know, number two, number three wide receiver uh, is sort of a luxury. I don't think the Giants can afford this off season. And, and the locker room stuff, I think, is real. I mean, I think obviously you know he has. You know, he's, he's been great as far as being, you know, like a mental health advocate. And, and I don't want to um, get too far into that because, I mean, I think he has certainly changed. He's got a handle on that. He's not the same guy he was early in his career. But he still is a, a big personality in a locker room. And I'm not, so, again, I'm not talking about the mental health stuff. I'm just saying he's an outspoken personality. Um, and how would he handle it? Go either way. He might be the greatest mentor to Odell, um, or it might be a little tough for him to be a great mentor if he is the number three option. And he's he's having the Victor Cruz games where he has zero targets or you know a couple of targets and maybe isn't happy with his role. It just seems like that's a little bit of a risk. Um, and the fact that he is so talkative, and again, the media would love him, but uh, that doesn't always sit well with teammates, especially if you are the number three receiver. It might be like, why, you know, why is Brandon holding court again? Because um, uh, I think the locker room was great last year. Even, even when James talks about some of the stuff that went on, I mean, you know, I don't think the Josh Brown stuff really affected the locker room at all, and it's, it's easier to block it out when it's a kicker. You know, it's not two years ago when you had guys you know, punching each other in the face in the locker room. So uh, I think it was a little bit smoother. I think that the pieces fit in. Uh, you know, you know, much better. I mean, guys like Vernon's super quiet. Jenkins kind of just, you know, settled in with all those, you know, Florida guys in the secondary. And then Snacks emerged as kind of a, a leader who, who spoke at the right times and said the right things, whereas I feel like Marshall is much more sort of in your face. And I know that's what rubbed a lot of the Jets wrong with some of the rah-rah stuff, uh, especially when things weren't going well. So to me, there's just too many questions. Um, and I think the whole staying in New York thing is is nice, but as James kind of alluded to, we've seen these guys can travel pretty easily. You know, they can get down to Miami on a private jet uh, with no problem. I mean, he was able to do the Showtime show uh, while he was playing for the Bears. So uh, I don't think he needs to live, you know, within driving distance to the studio to be able to make that work. So while that's a little bit of a, a perk the Giants could, could throw him, I don't think it's going to um, make him take, a, you know, $3 million less than he would if he could get it in Baltimore or New England and, and, and get to the studio probably just as quick. So uh, interesting name. If the price was right, you know, I, I would say sign me up and, and, and take your risk with some of the, the locker room stuff. But I just think the locker room stuff, you know, plus the price tag uh, makes it pretty unrealistic. Yeah, it'd be quite the story if it happened, and obviously would uh, it'd be really interesting to watch it all play out next year with all those personalities and all those weapons for Manning to throw to her. All right, guys, the combine wrapped up. Obviously, as people were listening to this, the Giants will be in a different phase. It's weird because this all came together. We talked about this in the last episode um, in a strange way. The NFL threw you guys into the combine, but all this free agency stuff really took over. So uh, to just 
Let's give a one thought from each of you on the combine and, and any thought you have as it pertains to the Giants. Dan, I saw you writing about O.J. Howard the other night. and I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that 23 the Giants could go, but what did you take away? Dan, we'll start with you and then we'll end with James on this. What did you take away with the, from the combine from a Giants perspective over the weekend? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned O.J. Howard, and, and he's a guy who I think a lot of Giants fans have wanted. He'd make a ton of sense because they really could use that you know two-way tight end. Um, and nothing he did in Indianapolis uh, would, would shake those feelings. If anything, you'd feel stronger. The problem is he, he did so well at the combine, he might not be there at 23. I think it's you know probably unlikely. Although I do think people are getting a little carried away. I mean, tight ends don't usually get picked in the top 10, 15 picks. I, mean, I went back and looked, and I don't have it offhand. I think there's been something like six tight ends taken in the first round in the last 10 drafts and and five of the five of those guys were you know 20 or later so I, I think there's a chance and and if it's not him uh it could be David Njoku uh and and overall I just think the tight end class is very deep and they tested very well so I think that bodes well I mean it's like it's like anything we were talking about earlier in the offseason uh some of these left tackles hitting the market even if the Giants don't want you know this you know, player X, just having him in the market helps because then maybe some other team will grab him and it just gives you more options. So the fact that this is such a strong tight end class that matches up with the Giants having a big need there. So maybe they don't get Howard in the first round. But then again, Evan Engram, who uh, is you know basically almost a big wide receiver, but could be a real matchup problem, could be a Jordan Reed type guy. Maybe you get him in the second round. And so it's just always good to have options, that, you know, especially at a position uh, that they need because offensive line is the other big you know need that they would have in the draft. And I don't see anyone there at 23 uh, who would really be worth taking to, to be able to step in as, as a day one starter a tackle, which is, is what they would be looking for. So uh, my biggest takeaway, definitely uh, the tight end class being strong. And, you know, as Giants fans, uh, you know, say their prayers that, that O.J. Howard somehow falls, that would be uh, the best case scenario. James, how about for you, looking at what the Combine showed us and, and how it pertains to the Giants coming up in the draft with the 23rd pick? We got like two months to go for the draft, make a bold prediction. I think they're going to take a defensive player at 23 just because, you know, Dan said O.J. Howard makes a ton of sense. He's not going to be there. You know, Njoku, obviously Jersey guy, really good. But I just look at him, you know, it's he's not exactly a complete tight end, you know, do the Giants want to spend a first-round pick on a guy who isn't that great of a blocker? And obviously, you know, Mike Mayock said that you know he feels that Najoku's willingness to block means that he'll be able to become a blocker in the NFL. But I, I just think if you're going to spend a first-round pick on a tight end, especially with the way the Giants have been going at the position, you, you need to have a guy who's going to be kind of hit the ground running and be able to block offensive tackle. I really like Garrett Bowles out of Utah, but is he going to be there at 23? I mean, he's just a uh, you know athletic, physical freak. Uh, the kid's press conference, uh, if, you, if you haven't watched it, you should, because he basically hit every buzzword about you know being nasty and, and this and that and having to playing with a dog inside. I mean, it, it was like every Giants offensive line buzzword come to life. I, I, and I just for a second thought to myself, you know, it'd be kind of fun if this guy was was sitting in a locker next to Pew and Richburg. Those three guys kind of playing off each other, and I think him and, and Justin would be very popular. Justin's already very popular with the media. I think Bowles would be a, kind of a go-to quote as well if they brought him in there. But it, I don't know if he's going to be there at 23. And I think Ramchick, Cam Robinson, they've got questions. Like Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, 
I don't know if the Giants would necessarily make that move or he'll even be there. I mean, he kind of impressed. And, you know, if Dalvin Cook has got character issues and, you know, Fournette has got this, you know, some teams are concerned by the size, that could push him up. So I just look at this draft. It's a very deep draft, but I, I just think at the end of the day, if the Giants, you know, the defense is their strength of their team, if they can't get a tight end, or they can't get an offensive tackle, I think you just kind of take the best defensive player on the board. A guy I've got my eye on, Zach Cunningham from Vanderbilt, linebacker. Maybe the streak ends and they finally take a linebacker in the first round, but that's just my way too early prediction is that they go defense just because the guys that they would look to on offense aren't there. What year was it? Do we know offhand what year last time they took a linebacker in the first round? 1984. They took Carl Banks. So let's just throw this out there. I don't think any of us have on this podcast said our actual ages. Were any of us alive the last time the Giants took a linebacker in the first round? That was I was born two months before the 1984 draft. So you were barely alive, James. You I don't remember. It alive? Well. I was not alive. No, neither I, was I. Was five so, years away. So. Okay, I was a couple years away. So in in totality, one of us was alive and not really. Uh, understanding at all what's going on. The bottom line, it's been a long time since they've taken one. That would be, if that name comes to fruition, James, that would be quite the story. When you think about it, it's just, you look at the history, that, like, I think the Giants have taken four linebackers in the first round. Uh, I believe, you know, the first two guys, they had like decent NFL careers. LT in 81, I believe. He worked out all right. Carl <laughs> Banks in 84, and they haven't done it since. Correct but I really think there's ahead. a chance... Showmanship. You get out on. You get out when you get on top. You don't go back. Zach uh, Cunningham, twenty-three from Vanderbilt. You heard it here first. Unless I'm wrong, they don't send it to cold, cold takes, please. Well, well, people do that anyway. But we'll we'll have a lot of draft talk coming up. I'm sure soon we'll we'll hop back on and record a new one of reacting to what the Giants did in the beginning of free agency last year. They gave us a lot to talk about. We'll see what they do this time around. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. And thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening to episode 85 of Talk is Cheaper, Giants podcast, right here, of course, on NJ.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're there. We'll be back next time on NJ.com. <laughs>